Okay, friends, we're going to go and begin this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for um, your love for us. We thank you for your faithfulness um, that continues on and on. Uh, we're grateful, Father, for this Lord's Day and for the opportunity to um, now prepare for worship um, as we spend this time together. Um, we pray that you would bless our conversation and discussion. We thank you for Lauren and for his work and pray that you would bless him as he teaches us this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so um, Elder Clark is going to continue um, today to teach through the Westminster Confession of Faith. Delighted to have him do that. There's going to be handouts that are not quite ready, but when they get ready, I'll bring them to you. And, um, and also at 10 a.m. today, we're going to be stopping Sunday school, or the, this portion of Sunday school, and, and spending the last 15 minutes doing some musical training with Paul Buckley. And that's going to be our rhythm going forward is to spend the last 15 minutes of the Sunday School Hour with Paul. So Paul's going to be teaching us a new hymn um, this morning. So uh, with, that in, with that in mind, I'll turn it over now to Lauren. Thanks, Josh. And this is good? We good back there? Okay. All right. Good morning. Let me get my, uh, my crutch on here. Uh, getting old is not fun. Um, we are on chapter 5 of Providence in the Westminster Confession of Faith this morning. And as a way of just kind of backing up and, and seeing where we've been, um, a little bit of review, I'm going to use the Westminster Shorter Catechism um, to do that. We've, in previous weeks, we've learned that the decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And those of you that know the Westminster Shorter Catechism um, know that very well. You also know the next um, question in the Catechism, which says, God executes his decrees in two ways. He executes his decrees in the works of creation and in the works of providence. And we studied creation um, in the last few weeks, uh, and today we're moving on to the, to the doctrine of providence. Archibald Alexander Hodge concludes um, from the, the, these questions on the decrees of God. He says, since the eternal and immutable purpose of God has certainly predetermined whatsoever comes to pass, it follows that he must execute his own purpose, not only in his works of creation, but likewise in his continual control, or even we could use the word sustainment, of all creatures and all their actions. And so, as we turn to providence, what is providence? Well, again, our, our shorter catechism is a, is a big help here. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Okay, a very short, concise, um, but packed uh, answer to the question, what are God's works of providence? His most holy, wise, and powerful. Now, notice both of these things. Preserving and governing all his creatures 
and all their action. Now, R.C. Sproul will help us a little bit with the etymology here. When we talk about providence, um, where does that word come from? Of course, those of you that are Latin scholars will notice that the root of that word is uh, the videre, um, to see, and, uh, and the prefix to the word, of course, is pro, um, which can mean in front of or before, and so quite literally, providence would be to see beforehand. Um, however, in theology, when we talk about God's providence, we're not talking about um, God's foreknowledge. As, uh, as R.C. says, providence refers specifically to God's care of the world and his ultimate supervision of it. Providence has to do not only with God's supervision of the universe, but also, and more importantly for us, with his provision. Um, and it really is an absolutely beautiful doctrine if you are to study God's providence in Scripture, throughout Scripture, and, as I'll be encouraging you throughout this, this lesson, to study God's providence in your own lives. Um, probably one of the most beautiful um, stories or um, examples of God's providence in all of Scripture, and not only in the, in the, at the time in which it happened, but also as it was a foreshadowing of what would happen, is in Genesis chapter 22, um, the beautiful story of Abraham being called by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. And of course, I'm due to time, I'm not going to read that whole passage, but you remember the story. God calls Abraham and says, Sacrifice Isaac, your son, as a burnt offering. And uh, rather than questioning God, uh, Abraham does exactly what he's told. He takes, uh, he takes Isaac, he goes to the mountain that God um, directed him to. He puts the wood on the back of his own son to carry the wood. He carries the fire, and they go to Mount Moriah. Incidentally, of course, we know what Mount Moriah is. Mount Moriah actually, in later days, would be Jerusalem, would be where the temple was built by Solomon. And uh, as they approach the mountain, Isaac says to his father, well, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where is the lamb? And what is Abraham's response? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide. And then, of course, he builds the altar. He puts his son on the altar. He raises the knife to slay his own son and the angel of the Lord stops him and provides a substitute, a ram caught in the thicket. And what was Abraham's response to all of that? Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Literally, Yahweh Yireh, or what we transliterate in English, Jehovah Jireh. Um, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. 
A beautiful picture not only then, but of what was to come, of course, with our Lord's great sacrifice on that same mount, if you will, just outside of Jerusalem. But uh, a great intro here to the doctrine of providence, which first and foremost is God's provision. So let's look at what the confession says about providence. Section, uh, section one of, of providence, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Now that's certainly a mouthful, um, but actually a beautiful introduction to the subject of providence. Um, Archibald Alexander Hodge summarizes this in five points. And the first point, although it's a little bit lengthy here, I think is very instructive for us, especially given what we studied last week about creation. Um, he says, the first thing this, this section teaches is that God, having created the substances, notice that word, the substances of which all things are composed out of nothing, ex nihilo, having endued those substances with their respective properties and powers, and having out of them formed all things organic and inorganic, and endowed them severally with their respective properties and faculties, he continues to sustain them in being and in the possession and exercise of those properties and powers during the entire period of their existence. And again, why does he focus on substances um, first? Well, remember, probably the greatest example of this is mankind, right? Of what did man, was mankind formed, right? Out of the dust of the earth, out of the ground, out of inorganic uh, matter, God formed man. And then what did he do, of course? He breathed into him the breath of life. Uh, it's one of the things that pure naturalists can never explain. How on earth, literally, um, can a big explosion that's constantly moving out, which we call the Big Bang, ever from inorganic materials produce organic creatures? How can, you, how can life come from non-life? Um, so the create, in creation, God not only creates the substances. You remember in your chemistry back in, in junior high and high school, your table of the elements. God creates all the basic materials, right? Then he forms his creatures. Um, and he breathes into them the breath of life. He gives life to that which is organic. And then, for our purposes today... He sustains those throughout all their existence according to their properties. Um, and without his sustenance, they would not continue to exist. They could not continue to exist. 
Secondly, Hodge says that God's providential control extends to all his creatures and all their actions. Third, that God directs all the actions of his creatures according to their respective properties and relations. In other words, according to how he created them. Fourth, that God's providential control is the consistent execution in time of his eternal, immutable, and sovereign purpose. And what is that just another description of? It's a record that, that we call history now. That's what history is. God's providential control, his consistent execution in time um, of, uh, of his eternal, immutable, and sovereign purpose. That's what we call history. A lot of us want to know what God will do in the future. And a lot of us study it hard um, and would like to predict. But how many of us are students of what God has done in the past? Um, and, you know, I would challenge you, be a student of history. And not of history just in the ancient sense, but the history of your own life. Because it's a beautiful book of God's providence, and it shows how God has worked and even will work. And then fifthly, this teaches that the ultimate end of God's providence is the manifestation of his own glory. Um, okay, let's look at some scripture now um, that, uh, on which uh, this uh, particular section is based. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold. That's taken right out of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses says, God uh, says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. That is, Christ was the creator. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And notice this, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Even now, the second person of the Trinity, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, is upholding the universe, all that, is, that he has made, um, by the word of his power. God directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things. Um, one of the best places to look in Scripture uh, at this is Paul's um, oration, if you will. I guess it, you could consider it a sermon, but it wasn't in a church. It was in the Areopagus in Athens. When, the first time he went to Athens, um, of course, Greece was a, a, uh, a center of, of philosophical teachings and religious worship. And as he, he looked in the city, he saw altars all over the place, and he even found an altar to the unknown God in case we had missed one, right? And his, uh, his teaching in the Areopagus included this, Acts chapter 17, verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, 
being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So even where nations live, where nations um, uh, uh, grow up, um, where the different uh, tribes of this world are located is in the, in the, uh, the, the providence of God. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, now here he actually gets the attention of those in the Areopagus because now he's going to actually quote one of their own. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us for... In him we live and move and have our being. That really would have gotten their attention. Um, and why is that? That's, uh, if you look at your ESV note, that's probably a quote from Epimenides um, of the island of Crete. But what was Paul really getting at there? And what, how was he getting their attention with that? Um, back in ancient philosophy and science, there were three things that the philosophers really studied and really wanted to understand and delve into, and that was, where does life come from? Where does motion come from? Why do things move? And where does being, why do, how do things exist? Um, so life, motion, and being are three great mysteries. And in saying, for in him we live and move and have our being, Paul is saying, God providentially is not only the originator, but the sustainer of all three. And as R.C. Sproul says, life, motion, and being are as dependent on the being of God for the continuance of their existence as for the origin of their existence. And that providence extends to everything, even the smallest of things, as we'll see uh, shortly. But I wanted to include here a great quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, who in his work Miracles, actually this is in an appendix of his Miracles, writes this. And again, as I said last week, uh, no one could accuse C.S. Lewis of being reformed. Um, he certainly wasn't that, and he, in fact, really despised uh, Calvinism. Um, but listen to what he says. He, uh, he was maybe a little bit more Calvinistic than he thought himself. Unless we are to abandon the conception of providence altogether, and with it the belief in efficacious prayer, that is effective prayer, it follows that all events are equally providential all events. You know, we talk about when something happens, it's coincidental or something, we go, oh, isn't God's providence wonderful? Well, brothers and sisters, all events are provident, providential. Um, Lewis goes on, if God directs the course of events at all, then he directs the movement of every atom at every moment. 
reminds you of R.C. Sproul's, there is not one maverick molecule in the universe. And if there was, God could not, could not ensure that his promises would be fulfilled. He directs the movement of every atom at every moment. Not one sparrow falls to the ground without that direction. The naturalness, listen to this, Lewis says, the naturalness of natural events does not consist in being somehow outside of God's providence. It consists in their being interlocked with one another inside a common space-time in accordance with the fixed pattern of the laws. And of course, what laws is, is Lewis referring to there, what we call natural law or the natural laws, which of course um, are created uh, by God. God is not only the one who has established, but also maintained uh, natural law. Um, that, uh, that gravity existed thousands and thousands of years ago and that gravity exists today as a law of nature, we might say, is because God sustains uh, that law and ensures that his creation um, works accordingly. God upholds, directs, disposes, and governs from the greatest even to the least. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Even the greatest rulers, believers or unbelievers in this world, their heart is as a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he may turn it wherever he will. Matthew chapter 10, um, a passage to which Lewis uh, referred in the previous quote. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, Christ asks, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head, what, what more insignificant could we come up with than the hairs of our head? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows, Christ said. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap. Seemingly a fortuitous event, right? The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. God upholds, directs, disposes, and governs by his most wise and holy providence. Psalm 145, which incidentally was John, Fal John Calvin's uh, favorite of the Psalms, uh, verse 15, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. What a beautiful picture of God's providence as being kind toward the works of his hands. And uh, R.C. Uh, reminds us that with any doctrine, all doctrines of the faith must be understood in light of the nature and character of God. 
for they flow out of his nature and character. He does not sustain and govern all things apart from his nature and character. And that's why he is the great provider who is wise and holy in that providence. He, he upholds, directs, disposes, and governs according to his infallible foreknowledge. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote here from the New King James Version, um, Acts 15, 18, known to God from all eternity, or known to God from eternity, are all his works. And God directs, disposes, governs, upholds according to the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. First, according to the counsel of his own will, Psalm 33, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And then, of course, what is the end of all this? The end is the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Uh, Exodus 9, Moses recounts uh, God's reply um, to, even to Pharaoh. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, or other translations, to show my power in you, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. The reason God raised up Pharaoh, even to oppose uh, Israel, who was in bondage in Egypt, was that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And then back to Psalm 145 again. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And Really, the whole book of Psalms is a, an exhortation to us um, to praise uh, God, to give glory, to ascribe glory to God for his wisdom, for his power, his justice, his goodness, his mercy. Okay, but providence has not always been a doctrine that has been faithfully taught in the church, and certainly not one that has been believed in society faithfully. There really are two, um, two errors with respect to the doctrine of providence um, that have been held, and they're really on kind of two ends of the spectrum. Those two errors with respect to God's providence are the deistic position, the deists, um, who would say God created all things, but he doesn't sustain them. He's not involved in his works. He leaves them to exercise their faculties independent of himself. So they believe in a creator, um, but not one who sustains, um, who's involved in that creation, 
He's like the, the clockmaker in the sky, right, who, who builds the clock and winds it up and then lets it, lets it um, wear down and run down. And, of course, this, this uh, philosophy, I'll call it, um, was very prevalent at the founding of this country, and even some of our forefathers were um, at least influenced heavily by uh, deistic philosophy. It since has not, uh, um, not served very well, and uh, um, many would say it has died, but I would, I would put forth that many quote-unquote evangelical Christians in this land today are practicing deists. You know, they, 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 they say they believe in a God, but their lives are as if God's not involved at all. Um, and uh, it's a shame, but uh, we're all, and I include myself in this, we're all susceptible to this. The other side of the spectrum is the pantheist, who would then, who would of course say that everything in the universe is God. Um, we're just a, a, uh, a, an outflow and part of God himself. Um, here's what Hodge has to say about this. All material and spiritual substances, of course, are created by God. But these created substances, although possessing a real existence exterior to God and exerting real efficiency as causes, are not self-existent. That is, the ground of their continued existence is in God and not in them. Though not to be confounded with God, they are not to be separated from Him, but in Him live and move and have their being. The relation of the creation to God cannot be analogous to that of the product of a human skill to that of a product of human skill to its maker. The one, that is of man, is exterior to his work. Man is exterior to anything he builds. The intelligence and power of the other, that is of almighty God, is eternally omnipresent to every element of his work. And of course, um, God is a spirit and um, those in this day and age, of course, would deny the spiritual realm. Um, and so this would be nonsense to them. So in summary, <clears throat> what we would say is with respect to his creation, God is transcendent. And we would say that against the pantheistic position. Yet, he's omnipresent against the deist. But of course, as Hodge goes on, the precise nature of the exercise of divine energy, whereby God interpenetrates the universe with his presence, embraces it and all things therein in his power, and upholds them in being, is not revealed. And of course, is undiscoverable. And of course, that's the rub with science, right? If I can't detect it, measure it, um, study it, it must not be real. Or at least I must be agnostic and say it can't be known. Well, according to the scriptures, it can be known. Um, but 
it can be known only insofar as God has revealed it. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may obey uh, the commands of God. Okay, let me just pause there. Any questions or comments about that first section? Yes, Sam. Oh, very good. <laughs> Wonderful. It is a beautiful. Yes. Yeah, very good. Very good. That very, very possible. Yeah, yes. Um, very, very good point. And actually, when I taught this previously in our adult Sunday school class, I had a little bit more time. And I actually went through some quotes of, of George Washington um, on providence. In fact, providence used to be used as a title for God. Um, and you'll see that uh, all through our founding fathers. Thank you, Tama. Uh, yes, Tam has been very involved in uh, uh, this work of looking at the, the founding of this country and its godly heritage. Okay, quickly, I've got maybe five to ten minutes here. Um, let's look at sections two and three. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, Yet by the same providence he ordereth them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. And contingently just means um, dependent upon something. God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means. And here it's helpful to look. Means and second causes are used interchangeably here uh, by the divines of Westminster. God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means, yet he is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. Okay, you can see a summary of what this teaches. I'm going to skip over that and move right into some scripture on this. Um, although in the relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly. Here Peter uh, preaches in his, his uh, sermon at Pentecost. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, now hear this, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Notice even the wicked and, and arguably the most wicked deed ever committed, that is the murder of Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Um, 
God's providence extends um, to even means that with the intent of the, of the humans involved are evil. Yet by the same providence he ordereth them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. Um, it's very interesting to look at two passages in, Deuter- in, uh, in the law, one in Deuteronomy chapter 19 that gives a provision for the manslayer. The manslayer, um, this provision is for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life. God provides cities for the manslayers to flee to. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, as when, and he gives an example, someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. Okay, what is the means there? The means is the head slips from the handle, a seemingly fortuitous event, from man's perspective at least. Notice how in Exodus chapter 21, God describes these seemingly fortuitous events. He says, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, in other words, it was an accident, but how does he describe it? But God let him fall into his hand. Or as the New King James Version puts it, but God delivered him into his hand. Then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. So notice that the means God uses, um, the the means uh, which he uses, uh, the second causes to which he uses to accomplish his providence, um, even can be what we think sometimes are fortuitous events. Events by chance, as of course folks would say in this day and age. God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means. Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. Rain and snow are God's means. To do what? And do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Seed to the sower and the bread to the eater are the ends, right? The rain and the snow provide uh, water, and the seed and the bread are the ends that God has intended. And then he relates that to his word. So shall my word, which again is the means, be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but what are the ends? It shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. So even God's word is his great means for the salvation of the nations of the world. And yet he's free to work without it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Christ said when the devil said, aren't you hungry? Turn this stone into bread. God can sustain life even without bread if he so chooses. Sometimes God works above means. Abraham and his wife were near 100 years old and they had Isaac, right? God works above the normal um, uh, to, to produce a child in the case of Abraham and Sarah. 
and sometimes he even works against. You all know the story of the fiery furnace. The fire did no harm to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God worked against. You know, fire is a necessary cause of burning, and God worked against that cause to bring about his glory. Well, that's all we have time for today. I'll leave you with a few quotes at the end there. Um, one of the most beautiful is the last quote that I would encourage you to read on your own time. A quote, if you, if you ever study providence, you have to study John Flavel's famous work, The Mystery of Providence. He's one of the great Puritans. And uh, here is a quote where he encourages you to be a student of God's providence in your own life. Um, bringing even heaven down to earth as we do so. Uh, but I'll let you read that on your own. Let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer before we let uh, Paul teach us a, a hymn this morning. Father in heaven, we give thanks for your providential hand, for your bountiful, bountiful provision of all of our needs through all of the time that you have given us existence on this earth. And most of all, we thank you for the provision of your Son, our Savior, and that without which we would have no hope of living with you for all of eternity. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.